But, um, but it's such a privilege to be here tonight. Again, this is not church. Yes, we're worshipping, we're praying, and we gather believers. But it's a team launch team meeting. And I was just reminded, I was part, I was 16 years old. I joined a church at 14 that used to meet in the Glenwood School Hall in Durban, then moved to a circus tent in Gravel Race Corps. And, and then they announced this announcement that a team of about 20 people were going to go plant a church in Pretoria. Now for Durban, that's a hard ask. I'm just going to be honest. That's like, especially in the 90s, they were like, wow. That's... And then they said a guy named Ash Bell and Nadine Bell were going to go plant this church. Now Ashley Bell is a South African surfing champion in the 70s, but he was still surfing. And he answered the call to now, he business the Zippetal Ministry, go plant church in Pretoria. And I remember going up about three months after going to church and I visited in a school hall and I was 16 going, I mean, I'm not bright, but this looks quite a thing. 20 Durbanites in the middle of Pretoria, singing English songs and uh, worshiping Jesus. And fast forward now to 2023, that church is now read by Rory Dye, who was my pastor at that time, and the guy who runs all the operations and oversees of this amazing church that has probably built South Africa's premier church facility is Damien Phillips, Gabriel's brother. And when we planted this facility, the first church to say, actually, we want to be a part, part of partnering and seeing life changes in the kingdom of God and God's in Cape Town is a church called Three Sire, which was planted by a surfer in Pretoria in the early 90s. Why? Because planting churches is a miraculous thing. It's a powerful thing. What are we doing tonight? Don't just say, I want to, let me see how this rolls. And, and honestly, we're calling it on. We're calling an army. And I'm speaking to a little bit of that tonight because I remember standing up taunting and I'll go, I'll go. But, but every time guys went on the floor, that's crazy. What are they doing? Oh, how would they go? I remember one guy named Lois uh, DeFlurio felt the call in a prayer meeting at church to take his family to Canada. The first time he saw Canada was when they flew over and landed in Canada. And they were planting a church there. They dropped 10,000 flyers while walking around because they got the timing wrong and they landed in the middle of like a snowstorm. They walked around handing out flyers, 10,000 flyers, one person came from the flyers. One. But God has done great things in all those years. And so it might sound crazy, but we believe in it because God given it as a model to see His kingdom advance and to see people buy into the mission. So we don't just need preachers. We don't just need worship, we just need people advancing the kingdom of God out there, seeing the kingdom of God come and declaring the name of Jesus because we believe that putting in community, seeing the power of God come is the most exhilarating thing on the face of the earth. And, and I love the local church. I'm not going to lie about it. I've been a part of the local church since I was 14 years old and, uh, and I was the naughty teenager who went for the girls. I was then known as the dodgy deacon for a number of years at Women's Church and uh, eventually we need to kick this guy out or bring him to leadership so they took a risk and brought him to him and now I'm a pastor. I never wanted to be one, to be brutally honest, but God's incredibly powerful and I consider it just the greatest privilege to be a part of an advancing story seeing God's kingdom come and so I'm excited. And so as we plant this church, I want to call, if you're saying, actually, I'm not just looking for a Sunday meeting. If you're looking for a Sunday meeting, I promise you there are hundreds of good ones in life of Cape Town. But if you say, I want to be a part of seeing the kingdom of God come and sign up to something that's exhilarating, that's got Jesus at the center, will have his fingerprints all over it, will have his name lifted high. Look, I know you saw Gabe on the screen a lot. Yeah. It's not about Gabe. Yeah. Although you did look good with that blue ball. You brought out the blue now. I just thought I'd mention it. I watched it twice this morning. Yeah. I think it's a good look for you. Um, but, but it's about Jesus. 
His kingdom and the miracles that He wants to do. Uh, 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 this morning at table, we had the privilege of ministering really felt God's grace into single moms and single dads. And so we caused single moms and single dads to bravely raise their hands and get community around them and pray for them. It's just, where does that happen in this world other than the local church? And then I saw people connecting afterwards and I'm going, God, release finances to single parents. Release babysitters. Release opportunities. Release Why? Because the local church is supernatural. It's not just a religious meeting. If it's that, ah, honestly. But where Jesus is in the room, the potential of heaven starts invading cities because people are rising up. And uh, oh, uh, something popped up on my Facebook feed on Wednesday this week. It was our vision state, vision, first vision day, six years, well, seven years, 2016. And I put up this up, there it is there, to show you the proof. I'm not making this up. But go to the next slide, I want to show you a little bit bigger so that you can see. I want to read this to you because I, I love this quote. I can just imagine old Theodore Roosevelt sitting in his chair smoking a cigar, declaring this. It is not the critic who counts who knows this. You've seen it before. It's awesome. It's not the critic who counts, nor the man who points out how the strong man stumbles, or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming but who doesn't actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy, worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievements, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with these cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Come on. Come on. Yes, I do want to get you excited. Yes, I do want to motivate. Yes, I do want to find vision in Jesus. I encountered Jesus at 14 years old, and, and, and I've had the privilege in these last two weeks of, I haven't actually met the man face to face yet, of encountering a Jewish man who's intrigued by our story, this church, got my phone number from someone on staff, and I've had probably 10 phone calls with him in the last two weeks. And he's opening up, he even types to me, prays with this way, I'm, I'm praying to God, God, G underscore D, because he can't write God. That G underscore D would bless your meetings this Sunday. And that grace wrote, please could you pray for me in these areas? Then later today, sends me a test me. says, I believe your prayers have been working in my life. I'm like, I don't know what you're doing, but I know I'm here for this man. Yes, meetings, and yes, advancing, and yes, buildings. But it's for people who don't know Jesus. Because Jesus is the King of eternity. And so, I'm unashamedly passionate about Jesus. And He is our why. He is the everything. But I want to... I want to inspire us a little bit from a scripture I've spoken many times before at weddings, but never preached really on a Sunday. And it's a scripture from John 2, and it's the first time Jesus does a miracle, but just before he does it, he says, he, he declares, you shall see greater things than that. He's speaking to the disciples, they're asking questions, they lack in faith, and he says, you'll see greater things. Honestly, a fully functioning, life-giving church is a greater thing. It's where, it's where any kind of prejudice will get forced to a head in your life and the Spirit of God will not release you until the Spirit of God rips it out of you. And tell me, the local church is the answer to prejudice, pain in a nation. We've done right. I saw it on a, I, I led a life group for 12 years in Durban. I saw prejudice ripped out of a man, ripped out of a man. My first encounter was with this man was when he, I saw him driving into Glenridge's parking lot, there's this big ramp. And, and I'm driving a little late for church, which was uncommon for me at that time. But, but I saw this little Ford Fiesta with low profiles driving, and, and it was raining, and there were people walking on the side of it. And 
veering left into a big puddle that had formed so that all the people on the side of the road were splat. Then Jada, oh, I'm going to flip and break this guy off. Then he runs drives, I think he's definitely not pulling into the Glenridge parking. He turns left into the parking lot. That's my first encounter. He spent five years on my red couch, and by the end of it, God had ripped racism out of him. Ripped it. Where else? Where else? But the local church. And it's like the quote, it's going to be messy, it's going to be costly, and no one gets up clean, there's going to be encounters, there's people involved, and it's a call to cost, but it's glorious. I want to speak to us from the, the miracle Jesus does in turning water to wine. Just a couple of thoughts. If you don't know the story, it's beautiful. It's a precedent. It's the very first miracle Jesus does. But it's a precedent shouting to anyone getting married. It's a precedent shouting that when God moves his mighty hand, he, he, he number one, is the most generous individual in the world. Because as married couples, number one, the greatest thing and shame for a young married couple at wedding would be that they would run out of wine. Not just in Cape Town, in this country. That they would run out of wine was the greatest shame. Secondly, the thing that established the marriage to go forward, not for gifts, they brought feasts and they brought wine that would then be sold after the party was done. And the community would buy that stuff back and the, the finances would be released to the couple as the head start for life. God says, the greatest head start you can have in your marriage, your life, your any endeavor is Jesus. It's Jesus. Not a trust fund. Education's amazing, but not that. Jesus. And I believe that with everything inside of me. You guys are right. You're quick fight. Sunday night. You're going to play seven or fives or whatever afterwards. I'm, I won't be joining you, but enjoy it. And I had an interesting afternoon. I lost my cell phone, which in my house we call that a canvas moment. And um, just, just because, and I was searching everywhere. And my boy had a little um, nine-year-old later. He says, um, Uncle Mark, did you check the pool? Why? He says, no, you were outside and you were on that, like an inflatable thing when I was lying next to the pool. And then someone called you, my neighbor called you, and then that thing blew into the pool. So I'm like, yo, I can walk around the pool. There's my phone at the bottom of the pool. I thank you, Lord, for technology these days. It's fine. It's a miracle. Miracle. It's a miracle. Talking about miracles. On the third day, I went into a place in Canaan, Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Problem. Woman, why do you involve me? If I said that to my mother, that wouldn't have gone well. My hour has not yet come. My mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to him, oh, okay. Jesus said to his disciples, fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. Then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had burned, turned to wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first. Then the cheaper wine off the guests had had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here came in of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum, where his mother and brothers and his disciples, with, um, with his mother, brothers, and disciples. They stayed there for a few days. I, I don't have any too, too many jar stories of my own, except for one. I was 19 years old, staying at my mate's house as a boarder. And we were messing around on his stairs and 
I convinced him that a good idea would be to take the mattress and slide down these double bottom stairs. What I didn't account for was a very large Ming vase at the bottom. And um, proceeded to go down and knock the Ming vase over to which it fell over and then we had a conundrum, we had a problem. But I'm a pretty good salesman, so I convinced my mates at 19 years old now, 24 years ago, that a good idea would be to get marine glue and glue back together because ultimately this was his inheritance, so it's still damaged. And 24 years later, his mom's never found out. <laughs> it's the only child story I have, but I met with him the other day and we were laughing about that. I said, but it's still your inheritance. Sorry, China. He's the only one inheriting that thing. I don't, not a good story, but nothing to do with what I'm preaching about. But, but this miracle I absolutely love, like I said, because it sets a precedent, not just for married couples, but anyone who believes in who God is, and He's ultimately the most generous, the most kind, and He, he does a miracle that avoids embarrassment and sets people up for a great preaching. Awesome. So we know the married couple, they're in the story. We know the disciples, they're around watching, and after the miracle, they believe. They weren't believing before, they were struggling, but there's some other players, just called the servants. Just the servants. You know who we are in the church. We're just the servants. Just uh, honestly, in, in, in five years' time, in ten years' time, no one will remember uh, my name, Gabe's name. It's just God did stuff. We, we worship. And, and this morning, I had the privilege of leading communities in, in a building that was built by 70 people. And I don't think there's anyone in the room who worship me there now who know maybe 10 people know names who were part of that 72 pine. Actually, you do. But, but you know the names, but they were just servants. And so I read the story, but what an incredible thing. Jesus' mother just says, do whatever he tells you to do. And the servants go, okay. But there's some implications uh, to this. And the number one implication is this. It was no easy task. Let me explain to you. It says this. Nearby stood six stone water jars. The kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said, fill the jars with water, so they filled them. Now draw some and take it to the master. And, and the, forget the water inside. I've always factored in the liters of water, which is some, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> 70 to 110 liters of water somewhere in each one. But I've never factored in the stone jars used for service. So I went and looked at those alone. And, and the numbers are astounding. Anywhere between 100 to 150 pounds per jar, they were a single block of stone that had to be shaped out and cut out so that it was used for ceremony washing. If it cracked when it fell, if it wasn't strong enough, this was a very strong jar that in itself, without water inside, would have required at least two or three men to carry. Then Jesus said, fill it. Now I understand this, there's no water, Brita water filters in the corner of the room. They had to carry it down to the well, which is generally on the outskirts of the town. Fill it up and carry it back. The commentator said probably took somewhere between 10 to 15 men a while to do that. Not an easy task. I want to tell you, welcome to a church planning evening. It's not an easy task. It's not an easy task. There are things that are tough. Here's the thing, there's some really bad theology that receive Jesus, everything's going to be very easy, and anything Jesus will ask you to do is going to be easy. And then he says, have children. So you have children, you go, oh, they're so difficult. It's good for you. And then you say, God, give me an amazing job and we end up working hard and working so hard. It's good for you. It gives him glory. Access the graces he had. And I'm telling you, when God pulls us into the story, these guys, just the servants, get pulled into Jesus' first miracle. Not the 
the disciples. Not anyone with the name that gets fancy a claim in the gospel story, just the servants. And so I'm charging us and challenging us for those who've been part of our city crew, for those who are signing, we're signing up to be servants. Servants. My very first job in church wasn't leading worship leader. Uh, it wasn't leading worship. It wasn't um, uh, preaching. It was none of the things. I had a three-liter cortina bucket with holes everywhere from Durban Rust. Which meant I automatically qualified to be a part of the team that moved the chairs on a Saturday night from Glenwood to Gravel. That was what I qualified as. That was my first serving in the life of the church. It was glorious. Some of those guys that were part of that team on a Saturday night were my best friends. But it wasn't easy. I can't tell you every Saturday night I come back on. You know what I want to do as a 20 year old is go and move chairs. That's what I want to do. I'm burning for that thing. No, it's flipping hard in 35 degrees, Durban with no aircon and no aircon in a 3 liter Cortina, and my fuel was expensive. No one gave me bucks for the fuel. Get excited for just crying. Get excited yet. It gets better. Second is, it's an obedience that makes it that obedience even when it doesn't make sense. Jesus says, go and fill it up. 75 to 113 meters in each one. The couples run out. It's about people. This is not about planting a church or a brand. It's about people. And there's people at stake, but not the servants. They're not winning anything yet. And they just choose to obey. And as we call this, I'm telling you, we're only here because of obedience. I'm sitting in this building. I don't get to worship you on Sundays. But, but this cost my family, us, our story and our church story a lot in the last year. And we just had to keep saying yes and obedience. Even when banks said no, people said no, everyone said you're not going to pull it off. We're sitting at the night going, God, how did this happen? Honestly, I'm still a little bit astounded. And go, yeah, there were so many hurdles. Uh, there were sleepless nights of trying to work out spreadsheets and speak to God and get advice. But I promise you, God loves obedience. God pours out obedience. And these servants, they were just obedient. They just said yes. Mom said, do whatever he says. You know what the mandate to the believer is today? Do whatever he says. Just do whatever he says. Do whatever he says. Point number three, really simple tonight. I want to tell you your why should already be answered. If you want to sign up for tonight. If you're a believer saying, I want to be a part of a church. Let your why already be answered. So, Because we live in an age... Then everything is run through this base. What's in it for me? Oh, it's, we've been there a long time. What's in it for me? And, and, and yet the challenge is the gospel says that Jesus says, I died for you, so do it for me. And, and, and what a privilege. Remember the end result is supernatural sun and wonder miracle. The, the, the finest of wine. So if you take all the liters and the fact that it would be left over, the result of that, that prize that would be left over for this couple was the finest of wine. Take the finest of wine. It's like hundreds of thousands of US dollars get spent on an old bottle of wine. Multiply that by liters per day so you get a picture of who God is. Just a picture. You're going to doubt him because the dollar's going crazy, because crypto is failing, because economies are rising and falling, and because the power's off? Or are you going to believe him? And trust him. And they just they just get on with it. I love the fact that, that their why was answered. He didn't tell them to fill it to the brim, but the Bible tells them they fill it to the brim. I don't know about you, but I'm carrying a heavy stone up there. Let's just fill it up, guys. It doesn't need a lot. I mean, it's ridiculous. You know, it's just water. The issue is wine. The issue is wine. It's not water. But they chose in obedience to not just put water, they fill it to the brim. 
And I think it's such a challenge for, in an age where save yourself, conserve yourself, and look after yourself. Who's going to look after someone? Trust Jesus. Now, this is not an application for burning yourself up. I was sitting talking earlier about knowledge and, and, and wisdom and time and all that stuff. But it is about saying yes to the things He tells you to. The problem is we say yes to everything else and we struggle to say yes to Him because there's no more space for kingdom activity, which means we have no supernatural day. God, where are you? He says, but you're saying yes to everything else. Some of the servants, I imagine the one guy, go for those heavy jobs, and they're like, oh, I've got a bed back. Can I just look off the tables? Just really struggling, cover her, really struggling, get a hold of me and fix me. It's okay, okay, back her up. But, but it's, it's uh, but, but someone would have kicked out the other guys to say, we're going to do this heavy thing. We're going to do it, and you know what? It's beautiful. It says, I want to tell you in 2023, 4.4, simply this, faith looks like something. Faith has become this philosophical currency that we talk about in our faith in this, but, but do you really? Does it look like something in your life? Does it look like something? It's got to look like something. We sat down with our kids last year when we started this campaign to buy the field. We said, guys, there's some cost here. We're going to pay. It's got to look like something. They've got to see the fact that our faith and our proclamation and our worship on Sunday actually looks like something. And they will also see the supernatural signs of God and provision down the line. And so will you. I, could, I, I would love to sit here tonight and just tell you a story, but God is faithful. And I imagine these servants, now they've got to say, now take that. Draw some out and take it to the master bank. Oh, they've got to take these jugs that they filled with water. They know. They filled it with water. They've got to go to the master bank. But he's quite an influential guy. And if he says, off with his head, probably going to happen. And, and, and now they've got to go to those same jars they filled with water and take him water. Again, this is not going to go well. This is, we haven't seen any miracles. So there's no context for miracles. Jesus the miracle. They just did what they were told. And they believed that so they take the wine and they go, oh, I hope this goes well. And, and there's no bickering. We don't see any bickering. We don't see any bartering in the process. We don't see any self-justification. They just get on with it. And they do it. And it says, they did so. And the master banker tasted the water that had been turned into wine. But this is the part I want to share with you. This is the why. This is the reason. It says, he did not realize where it had come from. But the servants who had drew, drawn the water knew servants do. The whole debacle with Harry now. It's not over, guys. We've got another decade of it. As every butler and every driver and every house servant who's ever served Harry since he was a little tiny Todd Harry is going to bring their own story to it. Why? Because the servants know. They saw it all. They've seen it all. And the privilege of these servants is the, the, the bridal couple who received the blessing, they didn't know. The, the, the master bank, they didn't know. But the servants who carried water and encountered Jesus and did what he said, they knew that that finest of wine wasn't purchased from a store or a winemaker. That finest wine was because they were in the presence of the Almighty. Something they've been waiting for for generations. To encounter the glory of God, the Savior would come. He would come doing signs and wonders and miracles. All they did was a heavy job of carrying jars with water. And I love it. It says, Though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Did they drink the wine? Probably not. They didn't even get any of the wine. Oh, where's my bike? No. Gabe says it often. We pray, God, use me, use me. Then he uses me, and God, why do you use me? 
to see water turn to wine. See, when you're greeting someone at the front door, you've signed up to serve and you don't feel like doing it because it's Sunday afternoon, you've got a big Monday and there's presentations. No, you get to see water turn to wine. When people walk in broken and shattered and you start seeing God transform their lives. When you're leading a life that you want a racist in your couch that you detest the reality of his, his thinking. And week after week, you're fighting with that thinking and then you start seeing God getting involved in that guy's life on your red couch week after week after week. You get to see the secrets. The servants get the secrets. Signing up to be a part of a church. See, I don't know what the, the prawn team who left Durban and the shores of Durban in the 90s got prawn 3 CI. But I know they would have got to see the secrets. They would have known. Some of them would sit back now and see what God has done in 3 CI and they would have been amazing. And we love encountering people who have been a part of the genesis of the life changes story that gave an eye and fee and care. We're not part of that. Celebration in their spirits, and Wally, I remember, right? I found a letter that Wally had written, written a dream. Remember that thing? His dream was that God would fill the car park with young people, and there'd be this whole thing. Now, understand that youth last year we had 250 kids in the evening service. We had 150, 160 people these last week. God is moving, but it's not just people; their lives being transformed, lives encountering. I had the privilege of ministering this morning and watching God come on people as a lawyer who's a mother of four declares and proclaims and sings and I watch things coming off people and tears coming big why because God is releasing I'm going I get the secrets I know what's happening I'm just a water carrier I'm just a guy who got up at five o'clock to pray even though I wasn't preaching because I believe that when God partners and I serve in the way he's called me I get the secrets I want the secrets everyone else talks about the secrets and about this no forget all of that servants Get to know the secrets. And it happens just when we carry water. So I came here to challenge and to speak. Do whatever he tells you. Number one, in his word. And, and, and we, we, we love statements like, uh, it's not my time. Imagine the servant said, it's not my time. It's not my time. So I, I just, I'm, I'm out. No, well, I'm going to end up with one picture, and here's your picture tonight, Shelly Anderson. Shelly, thank you for the picture. Where's Shelly? She's going to serve, probably. She's filling the water jobs. Shelly shared a story with us at staff on Monday about in Australia because of the immigration laws through COVID that haven't been lifted. You've got a 30,000 person shortage of people to pick the fruit. So they've got an absolute tragedy happening in Australia right now. Prices are skyrocketing, rocketing for fruit. Because there's no one prepared to go out into the fields and pick the fruit. Because there's no visas for migrant laborers who would come in for three months to pick the fruit. So you've got trees with beautiful fruit that either rots on the trees, get bit by the birds, or falls on the ground. And I heard that from the Lord, please let that not be the testament of our church. That there would be fruit. The harvest would be ripe. But we didn't pick the trees. We didn't go out into the fields. We weren't prepared to. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. It's haunted me this week, that image of ripe fruit. That Bible uses imagery for lives and Jesus and encountering Jesus. We preach the gospel and go, but no one, no harvest team. God will bring people. Yes, you can share social media and you can park in those ways. That's just carrying water. But God will do the work. 
Unless God adds to the story, it won't be fruit. I promise you. I've settled that. I've tried everything. This pastor thing is a highly insecure place. They were there last week. They told us awesome thing that didn't come from us. Now get on your knees and worship Jesus. And fortunately, over time, God works that rubbish out of you so that you can just, not just to worship Jesus. Just to worship Jesus. Not to cajole, to drive, to devote people. No, the Bible says they devoted themselves. It's your job to devote yourself, not my job. So if you want to walk into more of God, devote yourself. If you want to see miracles, devote yourself. If you want to be a part of the people who knows the secrets and see Jesus working in lives, and you want to be up close and personal, and you get the privilege of going to weddings where you know the chaos that happened all the years before, but you saw God get a hold of teenagers, get a hold of young people, take a hold of them, take a hold of their sexuality, take a hold of their brokenness, and you get to stand at their birthday parties decades later. See, I've been walking with the Lord for 30 years. It's now decades. I've seen decades of God's grace. I've also seen chaos. But I've had the privilege of standing. My best mate, he got saved at, at 21, an arrogant model on the walls of Mr. Price. He thought he was the absolute business and then encountered God. Now he's the C group CFO of Mr. Price. But a humble man, full of the Spirit of God, who's been a blessing to my life. But I saw God do that on that same red couch as well. He wasn't the racist. He was just an arrogant 21 year old. He knows that. Now, years later, his whole family changed. His mother's encounter, his brother's encounter. They thank you, Jesus, for what you do. I just got to see it. So, the invitation is this when you come close, not to this parting story, and, and back, to, back to our quote. Just so we can pop it up maybe one more time, it'll be amazing. I love that line right at the end. It's not the critic who counts. So, you know what the church doesn't need? Doesn't need more critics. Doesn't need more commentators. Doesn't need more condemning voices. The church needs the kingdom of God's calling contributors, the kingdom of God's calling people, to prepare with blood, sweat, and tears to just serve. We do the harvest, we get to pick the fruit. We turn the world into wine, we get to know the secrets. We don't even get to drink the wine, it doesn't matter. Welcome to the kingdom of God. It's not about you. Yeah. It will change your life forever. In 30 years' time, we tell stories about the God that we met in an empty building on a Sunday night, trusting God to do something amazing. Lord, thank you, Jesus. 